0: have an app on the phone or if you've got the, the written word in front of you printed, just uh, check that out. Uh, John chapter 11. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's really our, the, the context of scripture. And we'll look at verse 38 to 44 in just a moment. But um, John chapter 11, it's a, a passage that a lot of us are familiar with, as many other scriptures. And it's, it's the recording of the last great miracle did before Passion Week, as we call it, before Jesus is on his way that week before going to the cross. And we're kind of in that season, and it's not necessarily why I'm doing this, but sort of. It's just the timeline is that, that Jesus is getting ready, and, and he's already mentioned this in Luke many times in the other gospel, that he was on his way to Jerusalem. He knew what his goal was, he knew what the purpose was, and he was on his way. And so here, in John chapter 11, John records uh, the fact that Jesus' good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were good friends that... that there's a, it's recorded that Lazarus dies in chapter eleven. Um, and it's a it's a sad time, as many of us have experienced and have known for ourselves when that we experience death or the loss of someone to death that it's it's difficult, it's tough, and, and we struggle with that. And it's no different than the people in the Bible. They're humans too, right? And so they had a hard time. And and in chapter eleven. We see this, and chapter eleven starts with. I'll kind of give you just like a, a very try, try to keep it simple, so you remember with a little bit of alliteration. But there's there's a crisis. There's a crisis in chapter eleven, and the crisis is actually twofold. It's a twofold crisis. The crisis is this: as I mentioned, Lazarus is dead. Now it's a crisis because he's absent. He's gone. He's no longer present with his family members. Um, he's not, you know. Contributing to the world, the society is not. He's gone. He's not there. It's it's a crisis because it affects people around him. Um, that happens when we lose someone or we leave someone. If someone, when we die, it, it creates a crisis on some level. Emotionally, sometimes it's financial. Back in the day, especially when a man died, and if he was married, it was a big burden. It was a huge crisis financially and uh, for, for widows. Um, but there's a lot of other things we can talk about there that are for the day of and time. And, and the crisis is that Jesus is dead. But the other crisis is, is that the, the sisters are struggling. They are in distress. Um, just like we have experienced when when the... When we lose someone, and then it, the crisis touches us. I mean, not just those around, but the individual obviously is gone, but we are affected deeply. And they're, they're beside themselves. They don't know what to do. And Jesus is not present, and so there is distress uh, on their behalf. And the Bible records that they, Jesus is two miles away in chapter 11 of John. He's two miles away in another town. And Martha and Mary send a message to Jesus. I mean, they, they couldn't text. I didn't forget you, Regina. Don't worry. I'm looking at you because you're staring at me, but I I got you for the... uh, Yeah, I forgot to do something, but we'll do it later. Um, He didn't text and say, hey, they didn't text Jesus, Lazarus is gone. You know, they didn't send, you know, whatever. They, they, they sent this word that Lazarus is dead. And of course, being a good friend, Lazarus, uh, Jesus, is, is fully aware. And I'm sure immediately, he, he already knew he was God, right? He knew that. But receiving that message as a human being, he felt the emotion. He felt the grief, whatever he was experiencing, just like we do in these situations. And so the crisis, again, is that Lazarus is gone. And then his, his sisters are and his friends are distressed. They're in a place where they're not sure what to do, and they're suffering for it. And I'll notice that during this crisis, this twofold crisis, there's two things that happen in this chapter. And, I, and I, it's there for your reference. I'm not reading it. But there are two calls. And the first call that we see is made by, by the sisters, and they're calling out to Jesus. And they're saying, when I, what I just said, when they, when they let Jesus know that Lazarus is dead, the message was really this. And I know it's... I know it's not written there, and you're not going to read the words, and so don't add to the scripture or whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm just, all right, I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is, is that this message, the way it's conveyed, and the fact that they they sent this to Jesus, what they're saying is, somebody came to Jesus two miles away, another village, and said, hey, Jesus, one of your really good friends, Lazarus, Martha and Mary sent us, and, and he died. Help do something. They need you. They want you. I mean, I don't know the exact words, but that's, that's what happened. They didn't just, it wasn't just a matter of conveying the information. It was about, actually, there's a request implied in there too. We want you around, and you should be around. You're a friend, you're, and you're, you're, you're close to Lazarus, and we want to kind of be consoled. We want to grieve together. We want to process this with you. We need your help. Come be together. And so it was a message of, hey, the news is here. Come by. I find it interesting and we pray that it's, it's not happening. We prayed already for, for uh, uh, Kate's grandfather and Robin's father. Um, but, you know, we're talking about this. But, you know, when someone dies, and are we, are we hear that somebody is close to dying or they're struggling to hang on and, and, and to this life here on earth, what, what do we do? We get a call. What do we do? Boom! We go right away. We're, we, we're on our way, we're, we're, we want to go and be there, we want to be present, we want to pre- do anything we can for, for, for comfort or to, to aid in the grieving process or the, the, the anticipation of what's to come and to kind of be together so we can hang on and, 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 and in some ways not miss that moment, uh, especially when it's positive and we, we just, we want to be there. And Jesus doesn't do that. Like, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't do that, which is kind of, it's, it's, he delays for two days, Two days he waits after he finds out one of his best friends died and he's only two miles away. And whether he got on a horse or whether he walked, if he walked two miles, it would take him, what? I don't know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half to walk two miles? I don't know how fast. But right? The road, the terrain there, I have no idea. 36 minute mile walking? Yeah, I don't know. He's 30 minutes late. Yeah, I don't know. But he would he walked, right? He does. And, and they say something, and they also say when Jesus finally is coming and they connect, and he finally comes after two days, he comes by, and there's more detail there that we're not gonna to address today, is they, they say one thing, they say, Jesus, if you had only been here, this would have never happened. This would have never happened. Now, it's not like Jesus doesn't know this. It's not like Jesus didn't know that this wasn't going to happen. But Jesus said, "Jesus, if you were only here when they first meet him, this would never have happened. Why weren't you here?" That's what they're really saying. How could you let this happen? And Jesus is like, "All right, just relax." And he has some dialogue with them, and he discusses there uh, what's going on. And he says something. He says, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going that he's going. I'm going to wake him out of his sleep. He's not dead. He, he's just sleeping." And he's he's, he's making a, a, a picture here, and he's he's explaining the fact that gee, that he's going to raise him. It's temporary; it's not going to last. He's already saying it. Okay, there's more to that, but again, because of time's sake, but he's saying I'm going to he's going to be raised up. He's not saying I am at that moment, but he's going to be alive. He's not he's not dead. He's sleeping, and it's a play on word. And a lot a lot of times, um, even in the Jewish culture and in that language, when you say someone is sleeping, and even in some of the epistles, it's the idea that we're not really dead, and the concept is it's only temporary. That even though we died. And later on, Jesus affirms this. You know how he does this? He talks to Mary. And he says in verse, I think it's 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, even though he dies, yet he'll, he, will he live. Talking about that spiritual life, that even though you die, we're all going to die physically, but you will spiritually live with God forever. You will have that everlasting life, that resurrection life that only Jesus can provide. And he makes that statement already. Before he performs his miracle, of, of with with Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. Not to downplay the situation, but God's timing is not our timing. And it might feel like there's chaos and everything is just falling apart or that that you've lost someone, you've lost something that's dear to you or that you hung out, whatever it could be, a lot of things and we get emotionally attached and we feel just distress and that there's a crisis in our life and, and we call out to Jesus, Jesus, if only you were here. Oh, Jesus, if you only knew, do you know what, I just lost my friend. Jesus, come close. Don't you know that I just lost my job after 20 years? Don't you know that? And we can go, the list goes on for all these different scenarios that are crises in our lives. And we think that if Jesus was just there, he's there and he's aware. And it sounds cruel and cold, but God has such an amazing plan for us. And it's always in his time. And, and, and we think that if we just, we want it right now, right there, and if you were here, it would be all, all fine. And Jesus, he knows what's coming up. He's got a plan. And we find out about this timing and, and his purpose in verse 4 and verse 15 in chapter 11 of John, that, why Jesus delays. He delays for two reasons. In verse 4, he says so that God would be glorified. Don't worry, I'm still here. He's saying this from two miles away and on his way to, to this town. God's going to be glorified. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says in verse four. And in verse 15, he says that he's, it's, this is going to happen, this miracle and, it, and this delay isn't, isn't for, for, for nothing. God's going to be glorified and, God's going, and people are going to believe in him. So God's going to be glorified in verse 15 so that people will believe in him. Jesus makes that clear. clear. See, the dead person or dead people are beyond human help. I mean, if you're dead, you're beyond human help. Amen? Like, Can someone help you if you're... Well, Jesus can, yes. It's not a... But Jesus can help you. So they need Jesus regardless. And so Jesus has a plan whether Lazarus has died that day or he's died three days prior. Lazarus is still dead and Jesus is on his way to do something anyway. He's got a plan. It's his timing. See, the second call is made, not only that does, does, does Mary and, and Martha call for Jesus, and he's on his way, but once Jesus gets to the scene in our text, in verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, and now he's there, he came to the tomb where, Jesus, where Lazarus was buried. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And verse 39 says, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there forever. Days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Not that you're hearing me, but that you've heard me it's an interesting thing. The the, the, the relationship that Jesus had there, and it's highlighted there in verse 41. 42 says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And again, here's that belief. A key concept and truth in the Gospel of John. The belief in, in Jesus, God's Son, believing in God. And he says in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, and his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this, this miracle, this, this idea that we're, we're approaching Easter, but that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and on his way to, to give his life as a sacrifice. It's, it's a picture. It's almost like a foreshadowing. He's displaying what's going to happen to him. The fact that he can take a dead man and raise him from the dead is exactly what's going to happen to him. That he'll be in that tomb for a period of time, those few days, and he'll be released He will be brought back to life and praise God he's still alive, amen. And we're going to celebrate that and we we do every day, but we're going to celebrate that on the calendar um, in a couple of weeks here. And so Jesus here is pointing and and, and, and is a a symbolic, it's 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 an amazing thing in the timing of this miracle, pointing to what Jesus is going to do and what's going to happen to him. And Jesus makes this call to Lazarus, the second call. And he says, Lazarus, come out. Notice something about this call. This call that Jesus makes is a personal one. It's a personal call. We often say that God wants to be in a personal relationship with you, and that's true. But Jesus makes a personal call. He calls Lazarus by name. Now, it's thought by scholars and others, and there's probably some truth to this. I don't, you know, I can't prove this, but, but when you think about the power and, and the majesty of God and who he is as the as sovereign of the universe, that when he called out for Lazarus to come from the grave, if he had not called Lazarus by name specifically that because his word is so powerful everyone in all the other tombs would come out as well but there's a point here the the bigger point is that it's a personal call he makes a personal call and he knows who Lazarus is he knows he's talking to Lazarus and he's fulfilling God's plan with this amazing miracle to point to what's going to happen to him and he calls Lazarus Lazarus come out and he does it loudly. The Bible makes it clear. The personal call is really loud. The Greek and the original language, you can look at it, but it really is. Jesus was loud when he did this. And he spoke loudly, and he spoke so loud that a dead man heard it. Really. Did you ever get to the point where sometimes you're with your kids, no names, and you're talking, but it's like they don't hear you. Of course, wives say that about their husbands all the time. But, but you get to a point and you're like, you're talking, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's like all, and you stop, and there's that moment, and even if you raise your voice, and sometimes it could be loud and booming, and it's like, Colin! I see, you got your attention. Because he, he's doing whatever else over there, but he heard, he heard his name. That's, that's exactly, I did that because it's exactly what this is a picture of. That no matter what his state was, even if he's alive and he's zoned out, whatever, his attention is not there, he's unaware, even though he's alive, and he's alive. He's dead. Lazarus is dead. Jesus calls in such a way, and it's a, it's a picture of the power of the voice of God. And he, it's personal. and when he hears his name called, he's startled and he wakes and he, he's awakened to the fact that I'm calling his name. That's exactly what happens with Lazarus, this personal call. Do you remember the first time you heard God call your name? It isn't about the volume, but it's about the loudness. If I can, that makes any sense. Because it could have been just when you're in that crisis in your life. In other words, you're dead and you're in your trespasses and sin, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And God raises up from the dead. And you could be in that situation. You're lost. You're going to hell. You are spiritually dead. You don't know Jesus. And by His grace, He comes and He makes a personal call to you. And some point in your life, And in that moment, you're awakened and you come to an awareness that there is the God of the universe who just called your name. And everything changes from that point on. It's not about the degree of how dramatic or radical it was, but from that point on, everything changes in your life. You're alive, spirit. You see everything different. You have different um, perspective and attitude. You're alive. You're saved, you're regenerated, you're born again. You're, you're, you're spiritually alive. There's a personal call. Do you know, um, this thing about the voice of God, it's so powerful. In John chapter 10 and verse 1 to 4, Jesus himself said, just a couple chapter a chapter before uh, our text this morning. He says, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. They hear his voice. Love it. He calls his own sheep by name. There it is the personal element here. He calls his sheep by name, and the sheep listen to his voice. You can fill it in, right? he he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out and when he was brought out when he has brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice 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 the voice, the power, the call, the, the, the amazing uh, effect that, that the voice of, of God has. It's not just that it's a personal call, but it's a powerful call, as I said. And it's evidenced by Je- Lazarus' is coming forth out of the grave. Lazarus, personal, come out! The powerful declaration that only God can make to bring something that was dead and make it alive. Comes forth from the, the God who is incarnate, the Jesus who is in bodily form, God who is in bodily form, speaks to Lazarus. And the power is evident when Lazarus comes out after the stone has prior been removed by those who listen to Jesus' request to remove that stone away from the, the, the tomb. And he comes forth. There's a resurrection. This coming forth, think about it, as a dead man who's now alive, it would, if you saw that happen, man, What you would be like, Like Whoa. The attention is fully on the events that are happening. Not only did you hear Lazarus come forth, and people are thinking, "Okay, come on, Jesus," but all of a sudden, here comes this living mummy wrapped up. No, no, no I'm not making this up. This is this is this is the truth. It wasn't like he came out and he's like me and he's got clothes on. And he's dressed up and he and he's like, "Hey, look, man, thank you, Jesus, I'm alive." And he's moving around. He came out and he was wrapped like this, face covered. With the cloth, the strips of linen, and he comes out. Did he have some mobility? Yes, but he came out stiff and constricted and bound. And he comes out because the powerful voice of, of Jesus, the, the sovereign God of the universe, calls out and calls him back to life and out of that tomb. And he comes forth. And, and he's alive because Jesus' call is effective. It works. When he says something, it happens. It is effective. It awakens us and is spiritual and it makes us alive uh, to the reality of who we are and who God is and it transforms us into a new creation. He's alive not only because Jesus' voice is effective, but it's also efficient. If something is efficient, what is it? How would you define that? It works quickly and, and, and very uh, um, thoroughly. thoroughly. Yes. Completely. You know, and it's right there. And it's not a lot of effort, but but it happens and it's done. right? It's efficient and it moves along smoothly and it goes. And it's efficient. He just speaks the word and it's done. His word causes things to happen and change. Psalm 29, and there are many, many scriptures talking about the voice of God and how powerful and how effective and efficient his word and his voice is. Psalm 29 verses 3 to 9 says, and it highlights the power of God's voice. I quote, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Do you remember at creation, hovered over the deep? God's the Spirit of God in Genesis 1 is hovering. And what happens? Boom! God speaks. And things start happening. And here the psalmist, it's probably a reference. There's a picture there, uh, historically, to the Jewish people. And he's saying here, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. You can't not hear it, if I could put it that way in a sense. And it's just beautiful, and yet it's powerful. And the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. We had the storm, and people lost power, and trees are falling and snapping. And God just says one word, and the cedar gets split. And later on it says here, He makes uh, that the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. And even the oaks, they get twisted. And, and, and the forest gets stripped bare, because His voice is so powerful and effective. It's efficient. And it says, and in his temple, all cry glory. This is the powerful God of the universe, and his voice is effective and it's efficient. We can see this in the creation account, as I mentioned, in the creation of man. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God speaks, and out of nothing, everything that we see is here because God spoke it. His voice is powerful. Do you remember Jesus stopping? He's stopping the storm in Mark chapter 4. And then he stills the sea at just one word. He he might have all he would have said is, stop, be still. And the, the clouds roll back, the sun comes out, the rain stops, the wind stops howling, and the waves are stilled. And the disciples even said, who is this guy that at his voice, at his command, the waves and the sea obey his voice. His voice is powerful. And it goes deeply into our spirit, into our soul. And God speaks, and it is. And still, Lazarus comes out, and he's a living mummy. But man, but, but God's powerful. If his voice is so effective and efficient, then why is Lazarus, if he's alive, why is he still wrapped in grave cloths? Why? Why would he do that? It's because God has a bigger plan, and he's so, so, so wanting us to be a part of it. God wants us to be a part of his plan. The clothes stay on. He's still bound in graveslow. He's alive. He's constricted and bound. And it is at this point that even though he came forth, when this living mummy comes forth, that Jesus gives a command. This is the command that is for everyone that is witnessing this and around Lazarus. Not for Lazarus, but for those around him. He says, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. See, the grave clothes, they hinder movement. There is an inability to act when they are left on. You know, the grave clothes symbolize so many different things in our lives. Of course, they symbolize sin and that thing which kills us and destroys us and leaves us there for nothing and the temptations and all those things. Sorrow about the past can be wrapped around us if we keep staying there and we leave that on. But we're new creations now. We should have joy in the present and for the future. We have sorrow about the past. God wants to move us on. He cleanses us of our guilt, and our consciences are clean when He calls us forth out of that life of uh, that that death that we were in. How about doubt? It, it's around us. We come out, and there's a doubt. We know we're alive, but we're doubtful if we can progress or if these things will ever get off of us, whatever they are. How about mistrust? From the, from the things in the past that we've been duped so many times by people and false religion and, and, and heresies or, or, or the false gospels or, or people in our lives and things. And, and, and we cling on to them and they try to stay on to us, but, but we're called out of the tomb. And, 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 and there's a command that the people around us are to take those grave off. Fear, prejudice, habits. Do you want me to keep going with the list? All these things in the former life, it was even a life, that we had on in our death without Jesus that are supposed to come off, but you can't do it yourself. Can I just be bold here and just go for it and say that that's why we have things like CR. This is all about CR. This is all about the things we heard over the past few weeks. In our sermons, if you've been paying attention, that we grow in the Lord, that we are intentionally present, that we that we that the, the, from Hebrews that let us that that we're under new management, that that there's heaven waiting for us, and and in the, while we're waiting to go there and expecting that we're en route, and this is what this is all about. That Jesus does this amazing miracle, but He does it for the purpose so that we could co-labor with Him. In First Corinthians chapter six, Paul writes that we are co-laborers with Christ. That means we are working together with him, arm in arm, to do what God wants. And he invites us to join him in the task. And the task that we're given here is a command, and it's simple. But yet it's so hard. Because it isn't always clean, and it's not always comfortable, and it's not always in our time, and it's not always convenient. And he says, take off the grave clothes and let them go. Jesus didn't do that. He has the people around him to do that. And I'm going to tell you something. I know, and the Bible is clear, that they obeyed him, even though it doesn't say that. They took off every single cloth around him, because we'll get there in just a moment. In chapter 12 and verse 9 is the proof of that. He had no more glaive clothes on, or at least he had full, he was mobile and he, was, he, he, he could do whatever he wanted to, basically. He was free. Okay, but, but we're called to do this. Why are the grave clothes on? Because as I said, we're co-workers with Christ. It's to verify the miracle. Now the people who saw this, they saw the mummy come out, they have to come up and touch this once dead living person now and peel back the claws and be like, wow, that really is Lazarus. And it verifies this is the same guy. Then you get down to his hands and you realize that's scar. wait, that scarred. wait, that's Lazarus, that's really him. That's really him. And the grave clothes are coming off. Now, when Jesus rose, he left the grave clothes in the in the tomb, right? But in this time, as, as people, it's called, you know what this is called? The purpose for the grave clothes still being honest is because we're in this process of sanctification. There is a need for that because you're not all that God wants you to be at. You're fully alive but you're not everything God wants you to be. You're you're being transformed into the image of the son of Jesus Christ, of God's son. That's what Romans chapter 8 tells us. And it's we need that sanctification. And in the process as we see these people around us who come out of a life where they were in a tomb without Jesus, they've been dead and they made alive and they have these different grave clothes on with all these different whatever the labels are. And we are supposed to then, as God's chosen people, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, that we as God's chosen people who are holy and dearly loved, we should clothe ourselves with this, not those other death cloths, but this, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know why we need those? Because that's what it takes to come up, just as an example, to Pastor Mike, who just got saved, and to take off the grave claws. Sometimes it takes a long time to peel those things off. Sometimes we need to to assist somebody, even if, maybe there's scabs still, or there's some embalming agents, whatever, whatever, I don't know what they did, but something stuck to him, to like quickly you know, a band-aid, like the adhesive, like pull it off. And sometimes we got to do that. It doesn't feel good. But it's to free somebody up, to loose them, so they can be everything that God wants them to be as they become more like Christ. And we got to be patient with that. And we got to be diligent. And we shouldn't run away from that. But we put these things on so that we show interest in these people that that God calls and we're co-laborers with Him. Do you remember just one story? And we're going to wrap it up in a moment. Paul's conversion to Saul. He became Saul in Acts chapter 9. He's going on on the road, and God just boom hits him with that light and speaks to him, and his conversion on the Damascus road. And after this happens, Ananias is going to have to kind of like connect with him, and he has a fear of Saul of Paul because. Paul's a murderer and he's, he's causing trouble. He's a troublemaker. And he's destructive and he's not good. And he has a fear of him because he saw the grave clothes that were called murderer and persecutor and liar and cheater and a power-hungry, pride-arrogant guy. Whatever else it was that had him wrapped up and he was going to an eternity without Jesus. And then something happens. Also in that chapter, Barnabas comes by and he accepts, after he hears about this conversion, he accepts him and he takes him arm in arm and he helps him in the process to get the grave clothes off and then the church begins to embrace him as we're supposed to. And the grave clothes keep coming off. And and with Paul, maybe it was faster than with some of us. And that's not the point. The point is, is that we're supposed to be involved in taking the grave clothes off. God invites us to do that, And he calls us, actually commands us to do that. See, here's the conclusion. That when everybody did their job, when they responded to that command, the last point is very simple. Lazarus becomes a convincing character. You see him, that it's really him. He's not wearing the grave claws anymore. And he's walking around. Remember, the purpose of all this miracle is that many would believe and that God would be glorified. John chapter 12, verse 9. As promised, as we close, this is it. In verse 9, he says, the Bible says, The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there. Talking about Jesus. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Look at verse 10. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also. He was just raised from the dead and now they want to put him back down. Verse 11 says, because Noah, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Let me tell you something. The grave clothes come off so that you can be a convincing character. So that you could tell other people about the fact that you've been brought to life. And if there's only one person, Person that can do that, and it's Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord of the universe. Only one! No one else could do that. And, and He's doing this, and, it, and you know what? When you do that and you carry that message, and in, in, a, in a symbolic way here, and, and there's a parallel here, it's practical, there are many people around you who, even though they might have known you before you met Jesus, once that happens and the grave clothes are coming off, and you start being a convincing character and tell them about Jesus, they want to get rid of you. And, and you know, figuratively speaking, I mean, there, they, want, they want to silence you or put you down. Or put you they, they, they don't want it. Lazarus, the dead man, is now Lazarus, the witness. And his life is threatened because he benefited from Jesus' grace and power in his life. And he gave him glory for it. And now he's persecuted to the point that they want to take him out. So this morning, Couple of questions. Do you need help with getting grave clothes off in your life? I mean, God doesn't want you to live that way. God didn't bring you to spiritual life so that you you understand who you are by faith and by God's grace to be to be born again to become a child of God, so that you could just stay in your grave clothes. That is not God's plan. Amen. God's plan is that you allow yourself and that you. Allow those around you who care and that God to raise, that, that people will take off the layers. Let me just tell you something. And I, I don't, this is not an insulting way. This is not in a, a judgment. Of that. I don't even know how to say it. I, I don't get in trouble, but I feel sorry for you if you don't let the body of Christ do that. Amen. And unfortunately, the church today has become like just the rest of the world and we all cocoon ourselves and we're so afraid. And I understand the justifications and some of them are valid. I get it with the trust issues and pains and hurts. But when are we going to get over that too? Because those are great grave claws, by the way. Ooh, amen. And Jesus wants them off. And we do it when we do it in fellowship. And we're transparent and we open and we allow that to come off. And sometimes it's painful and sometimes it takes a long time. A, but you know what? That's our job. And it's your job to do that. Are you helping to take off the grave clothes in someone's life after God's effective and efficient call has brought them to spiritual life? Are you involved in that? How, how about you? Are you a convincing character? Or are you just like anyone else? You, you, you've been alive, but you've been, you've been, your whole life now, You got you were born again. God called you, that effective and powerful and efficient call. And you came to spiritual life. You were born again. And now all you're doing for the last 20 years is walking in grave clothes. And you're not convincing anyone that your life is any different. Oh, you have... Possibly the Spirit of God in you. But you're just staying there, and you're like, and everyone's looking at you like, okay, why do do I want that? What's that all? That's boring. I'd rather just do this, but I have full mobility and I could do whatever, and I'm just dead anyway. It doesn't work that way, people. It's not God's plan. If you and I have been raised to a new life in Christ by God's saving power, are we testifying? Are we evidence of that miracle by our righteous actions and words? That point to Jesus and him alone, the only one who can save us and make us spiritually alive, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Brothers and sisters, I have an exhortation of some sorts before as we close that I, I just feel I got. If you are involved with, I'm just going to say it, so-called ministries, where Jesus is exempt and grave clothes don't come off, or in fact, that ministry doesn't call people out of the tomb. Get out. Amen. Amen. You're fooling yourself, and you're fooling everybody else. Amen. That's all you're doing. Where are you meeting people? What are you trying to do? Amen. You just want to make people feel good, so they go all the way to hell? Are you trying to convince yourself it's Okay that I'll just go along because it's a good social cause and I can support this, even though God is exempt and there's no solution, no life-giving power in that purpose or agenda, but I'll feed people, I'll help people psychologically, emotionally, whatever else. But Jesus isn't even mentioned. He's not there. He's not, he's not highlighted as the one who calls effectively and powerfully and he saves and he takes grave clothes off. When Christians peel that off, Or are you involved because you want someone to make a profession and you think that they're living mummies and you're okay with them staying that way? You don't care about taking the grave clothes off. Just to keep the peace and it's all right. I don't offend anybody. Stop doing that. I guess it's an exhortation, but I'm serious. You need to hear that. I know somebody needs to hear that. We are not called to that. The command is to take the grave clothes off and let people free. And maybe if you're not loose yourself, you can't loose anybody else. I don't know where that's coming from, but I'm leaving it there. Amen. Amen. We're coming in this season, and we're celebrating this powerful, powerful thing. This event that changed history, changed our lives. Jesus rose from the dead. He died and rose, as illustrated. And he did this by raising Lazarus from the dead. Are we going to be a part of this? Are you going to be a part of it? Am I going to be a part of it? God, help us to do that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just take these words. Holy Spirit, take them and do whatever you need. And help us to not, even if we squirm, help us, Lord, to, uh, to do what you ask us to do. Lord, if we have been kind of like pierced somewhere or prodded or prompted, Lord, please don't, even myself, any of us, don't let us delay, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Um. So we ask for your help. Bless us as we go today, and uh, may we be convincing characters everywhere we go every day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.